Here we go on this Rumination Tuesday, July the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2122. I'm sorry, 2022. Want to get ahead. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me will be Mark Smith. We're taking a look at the hymn, Our Father Who From Heaven Above. We don't have to talk too much about the author. It's Martin Luther. In fact, Martin Luther did a number of hymns on his catechism. In 1524, he created a paraphrase of the creed, we all believe in one true God. He added stanzas for a Holy Communion hymn later on, and he revised Jan Huss's Lord's Supper hymn, Jesus Christ, Our Blessed Savior. He had a paraphrase of the Ten Commandments, and a decade later, he got to the Lord's Prayer and a hymn on baptism. To Jordan came the Christ, our Lord. Today's hymn, of course, is the one on the Lord's Prayer. Luther begins each stanza with a rather literal version of the prayer from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Thus, the singer not only offers the prayer, but also reviews its meaning. That tune that Luther had never was used, but the text became associated with a melody by Michael Wisey on the Lord's Prayer. And it was printed in the Brethren's Czech hymnals between 1505 and 1519. By about 1537, the tune was being combined with Luther's text. And this is the hymn of the day for proper 12 Easter 6 one year series and a day of supplication and prayer. So, Pastor Smith, what do you think of this hymn? It's a good hymn. It's a long hymn. We're going to use it this Sunday during the distribution. That's exactly the time to use it because the verses aren't that long. When you have distribution at your congregation, how long does it take? Oh, you know, we have just gone back to using the, uh, to bowing at the rail. We just in the last few weeks started, you know, we reintroduced that custom of going to the rail. We had, we had the people process up uh, to the foot of the uh, chancel, but now we go all the way to the rail. So I'm, it, it, it takes less time, I think, to commune the people at the rail than it did before. That's about oh, all I does? can say. Yeah, yeah. Now, we do it with each person coming up singly, and that gets done pretty quickly. Do you give out the bread and the wine? No, the body and the blood. <laughs> and oh, the bread do- and wine. I'm, just, do- I'm giving you a hard time, to, Tom. Yes, no, I give out just the, the uh, wafer. Oh, just and, the wafer. And my and the, uh, my assisting elder gives gives the uh, individual cups of the Lord's blood. Yes, and then when people come up who are not uh, confirmed, do they cross their arms or something so you know not to give it to them? Uh, I I've I've seen that sometimes. 
I know the congregation fairly well, and uh, uh, I know who has not been. I know the little ones have not been communed, and and so I kind of I kind of know even without that. But yeah, I've seen that practice of crossing their arms too. Yeah, we actually have it in the bulletin each mm-hmm. week, so uh-huh. that people know about that because we get a lot of visitors, and yeah. so it's kind of. I'm happy for the kids to. I'm happy for the kids to come up to the rail with their parents, and I give them, I I point them to their uh, baptism. I remind them of their baptism and its blessings. Do you give them the sign of the cross or anything? Uh, no, no. I just uh, I just speak to them and remind them uh, that in baptism, our Lord's washed away all their sins and made them uh, uh, children of God and heirs heirs of heaven. What do you do when you have, and we have this occasionally, a child come up who isn't a member of the church and never been baptized? What do you say to them? Well, I pretty much make the assumption that if they come up with their parents, that if their parents are communing and, and members, I, I pretty much operate on this, the assumption that uh, that their kids are also baptized. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But we, we have families who are visitors. They come up. Even the parents have their arms crossed, and so they don't receive yeah. the communion, and neither do the uh, kids. Uh-huh. But let's go on with this prayer. It's nine stanzas long. So yes. number one, please. Our Father, who from heaven above bids all of us to live in love as members of one family— and pray to you in unity. Teach us no thoughtless words to say, but from our inmost hearts to pray. So this, of course, is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, and it begins with our Father. In fact, there are scholars who believe that the word for Father isn't the regular Greek word, but the word Abba that Jesus would have used in the Aramaic, which is a much more non-formal word, which would never have been used in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, it would have been like the Hebrew daddy. Yes. Although it is used in uh, worship also, and Mm, it would be more formal there. So that's the beginning. And the meaning, of course, is that if he's our father from heaven, then we're members of one family. That's right. Okay, I'll do two. Your name be hallowed, help us, Lord, in purity to keep your word, that to the glory of your name we walk before you free from blame. Let no false teaching us pervert all proof deluded souls convert. All poor deluded souls convert. Now that's kind of interesting. And what is the meaning of his name to be hallowed then according to this verse? Yeah, his name be hallowed. It's right out of the catechism. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, what does this mean? God's name is indeed holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be holy among us also. And how is this done? God's name is hallowed when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, 
and we, as the children of God, also lead a holy life according to it. This grant us, dear Heavenly Father. But he that teaches and lives otherwise than God's word teaches profanes the name of God above us. Uh, from this preserve us, Heavenly Father. Do you remember the original translation of the second commandment? Thou shalt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, of the second of the second commandment. <sighs> Get me started, Tom. Thou shalt not take the name take of God in vain. In vain. Now right. I never knew what in vain meant. And so when I taught that, I kind of looked it up, and I came up with this. Thou shalt not use his name for a purpose that he did not intend. Right, right. Now, what's today's translation? Well, it's, uh, it's similar. It's... Um... God's name is hallowed when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. No, no, the, what, the commandment itself. The commandment? Yes. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, his name. Hallowed be thy name. Sorry, Tom. You caught me flat-footed. I'm thinking oh, yeah. about the Lord's Prayer today. Well, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, the commandment makes it clear that we should use his name properly. And and so that's why that that's the second commandment. You don't have the catechism in front of you then? I do. And you have the modern one? Uh, no, I've got what I've got. I've got Kurth's catechetical helps. And he doesn't say what the catechism is? I've got the section open to the Lord's Prayer. Oh, okay. But this Lord's Prayer deals with the second, um, the um, second commandment is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Right. And the second commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. In vain, right. No, no, there's no in vain. That's right. You're right. You're right. No in vain. That's that's the Lord's Prayer. So that makes it more sensible not to misuse. That, that's really a pretty good translation. Because I was trying to say in vain means not to use it for a purpose he did not intend. And that would mean not to misuse it. Now, I, I watch these things on YouTube. People try to do something and they fail. And a lot of times they use swear words when they fail or whatever. But a lot of times, one guy said six times, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. Would that right. be a pro proper use? No, that would be a thoughtless. That's uh, teach us no thoughtless words to say. Well said. Now, that would be, yeah, that would uh, be a misuse of his name. Yes. In, in fact, um, I've come to the conclusion that when I had done something and it wasn't achieved, I would say the word SpaghettiOs. And I came to the conclusion that that also was a sin because I didn't want to use God's name or anything. Uh -huh. But SpaghettiOs was still an attitude on my part 
that God wasn't doing his job. Something was failing. Hmm. And so I stopped using so that. What do you say? What do, what do you say when you're? Uh, oh my! You say that? Oh my! Or uh, you know, no, even I, gosh, gosh, gosh is a euphemism for God, of course. Yeah. Or it golly. All depends the co- okay, you're going down the highway, and a drunk driver gets into your lane, and you move out of the way just in time, and you miss the accident. I don't see a problem saying. Oh, gosh. There. Because if it's referring to God, you're thanking God for what he did. Yeah. But why don't you use the proper name for him? <laughs> no, well, I'll you tell could. you, when, I'm, when the Lord perver- preserves me from some accident like that, God, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. That's what I say. Yeah. No, um, ever since I've had surgery and some things like that, I've been saying, uh, thank you, Jesus, more often. Yes, <laughs> I yes. I think I did in my previous Yeah, I do life. that a lot. I do that a yeah. lot. As you get older, you do that a lot. <laughs> because Absolutely. we're impressed by the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Okay, stanza three, please. Okay. Your kingdom come, guard your domain, and your eternal righteous reign. The Holy Ghost enrich our day with gifts attendant on our way. Break Satan's power, defeat his rage, preserve your church from age to age. Now, when I do the teaching of Luther's Catechism and I get to the Lord's Prayer, I try and make a point how each of these stanzas is really going back to one of the commandments. And what would this stanza, this part of the Lord's Prayer, which commandment would this be going back to? Oh, let's see. Well, I'd, um, I'll give you a hint. Your kingdom come. Yes, that's. I know that. But I'm trying to think how that would uh, go, which commandment that would go to. Let's see. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Excellent. All right. Remember. And the if you Sabbath. go through this, this is exactly... Your eternal righteous reign. Where does it reign? It reigns within the church. The Holy Ghost enrich our day with gifts attendant on our way. He does that through baptism. Break Satan's power, defeat his rage. Preserve your what? Your kingdom? No, last line. Oh, you're... Oh, I see. Uh, let's see, preserve your church from age to age. Well, that's his kingdom of grace. That's right, exactly. And that I often refer to back to the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first two petitions, the first three really deal with um, the first commandment, the second, the third. All right, I'll read four. Your gracious will on earth be done as it is done before your throne, that patiently we may obey throughout our lives all that you say. Curb flesh and blood and every ill that sets itself against your will. Now, 
what commandment indicates that we are to obey? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. No, that's, that's the first, first commandment. First commandment, yes. Well, the first commandment deals with every commandment. Right. But what specifically is the one that we are to obey? I'll give you a hint. Parents. Oh, well, of course, the, uh, the fourth commandment. See? Yeah. The fourth commandment is the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Okay. That here on earth, we are to be doing that which is done before your throne in heaven, that we may obey. That's what the text actually says. And curb flesh and blood and every ill. Now, who does God give us to curb our flesh and blood and every ill? He gives us uh, our superiors, our, our, the government, governmental authorities. And our parents, of course. Yeah, the parents is what the commandment's talking about. And then after you reach a certain age, the government kind of takes over. But here's another explanation that I, I believe this petition does in dealing with the commandment. All right, five. Would you read that? All righty. Give, give us this day our daily bread. And let us all be clothed and fed. Save us from hardship, war, and strife. In plague and famine, spare our life. That we in honest peace may live to care and greed no entrance give. And which commandment deals with the idea of sparing our life? That's the fifth commandment. Excellent. Thou shalt not kill I shall not kill and remember that occurs not just when you actually commit a murder but when you hurt and harm your neighbor right. hurt our arm our neighbor right in his body right and, and that we should help and befriend him in every bodily need excellent and that's what that verse is saying that we in honest peace may live to care and greed no entrance give. And that's, of course, referring to our help of our neighbor. Right. All right. Stanza six, please. Forgive our sins, Lord, we implore, that they may trouble us no more. We, too, will gladly those forgive who hurt us by the way they live. Help us in our community to serve each other willingly yes now there we're talking about the forgiveness of sins i'm going to be doing a sermon on what that means this sunday uh i don't know what you're preaching on are you preaching from colossians or are you no, preaching from I, luke i'm preaching from the old testament oh genesis again yes where abraham asked all the way down to if only 10 people are okay. Right, right. They won't destroy it. Yes. Yes. Okay. The reason I like the epistle of Colossians is it explains how God forgives in a way that is so good. You know, I always like to say forgiveness means God will not hold you accountable for your sins. 
Now, here's what verse 13 and 14 says, that God has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Boy, if that isn't helpful to explain what forgiveness is. Right. You got legal demands. There's no other religion where the God cancels the debt. It's like you being arrested for robbing a bank. The jury says guilty. And the judge looks at you and says, well, we're going to cancel the debt and you're free to go. That, that's why Christianity is so hard for people to believe. Because it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Well said, well said. As Corinthians says, until you have the Holy Spirit, none of Christianity makes sense. I'll read seven. Lead not into temptation, Lord, where our grim foe and all his horde would vex our souls on every hand. Help us resist, help us to stand firm in the faith, a mighty host through comfort of the Holy Ghost. Now, how can we say to God that he should not lead us into temptation? What right do we have to say that? Well, God indeed tempts no one. Exact. Well said. That's excellent. God, in, in fact, in. in fact, here we go. Here's uh, what does this mean? God indeed tempts no one, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us, so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us, nor seduce us into misbelief, despair, and other great shame and vice. And though we be by, assailed by them that still we may finally overcome and obtain the victory. Yes. So lead us not into temptation doesn't ever mean that God will lead us, but that he will help us to resist. How did Jesus resist the temptations of Satan in the wilderness? He went right to the word of God. Exactly. That's how he, that's how he uh, chased the devil away. And they were all from the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. It is written. I'll, it is written. That's what he kept saying. It is written. Yeah. I'll read eight. From evil, Lord, deliver us. The times and days are perilous. Redeem us from eternal death. And when we yield our dying breath, console us, grant us calm release and take our souls to you in peace. Now that certainly reminds us again of promises that God will deliver us when the days are perilous and most importantly, redeem us from eternal death. Do you remember what that word redeem, how it comes about in the Bible, what it means? It means to buy back. Yes. Uh, or to free, like a man will free his slave by paying a certain price, and the slave is redeemed. What's the price that God paid to redeem us? The, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. Yeah, that's where you're really good in bringing in Bible verses all the time to back up what we believe. 
And that's what Luther is trying to do here also in this prayer. Now, there's one last word in the prayer, and if you would read that stanza. You want the ninth verse? Right. Amen. That is, so shall it be. Make strong our faith in you that we may doubt not but with trust believe not but with trust believe that what we ask we shall receive. Thus in your name and at your word we say Amen. Oh hear us, Lord. So what does the word Amen mean then, according to the verse? Yea, yea, it shall be so. That's what uh, that's what I've always been told. It means yes, yes, it shall indeed be so. Right? Yeah, it's a vow that uh, when we say the word Amen at the end of a hymn or the end of a prayer, we know that God is going to be hearing us. That it does say this: that what we ask, we shall receive. Is that always true? Well, uh, it's uh, God gives us what we need. It may not be exactly what we pray for, but he he knows what's best is needed for by us, better than we know ourselves. And so he gives us indeed what we need. He will always answer our prayers. I say it is exactly what we pray for. And yeah, here's because, how I, because we pray his will. His will be done, not ours. That's right. So there's two ways to pray. If you pray for a promise, like when you're baptizing an infant, that the child be receiving faith, you don't add, if it be your will. That That's right. Sin. But, but when, when you pray praying, for earthly blessings, when you pray for earthly blessings, you always want to attach, if it be thy will, Lord. And then it becomes his will. Yes. Not what you're praying for distinctly, but what his will is. That's, That's right. That's what you're asking. That's and exactly so you, right. You got Bible verses where it talks about that there's no doubt that in Christ, all things are going to work together for your good. It may not work according to how you think is your good, but it certainly does. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. We did get through the nine verses, Pastor Smith. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be continuing with the study of Proverbs, going into a new section on Proverbs dealing with Solomon's writings. I'm Tom Baker. You heard Pastor Mark Smith. And we'll be back, or I'll be back tomorrow. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.